Hello, everyone. You're listening to Battle Red Radio. My name is Matt Weston, and tonight I'm joined by the biggest, the fattest, the drunkest of them all, our good pal BFD. How are you doing tonight, man? Woo! Go light! Woo! <laughs> yeah, I, I love it. I love it. So did you know that the only coach worse than Bill O'Brien in the entire <laughs> NFL is Doug Marone of the Jacksonville Jaguars? Matt, did you know that... I'm going to throw this back at you. Did you know that you can't run the ball against the Houston Texans? I think so. I think so. I think we've talked about that quite a bit. Spoiler alert. Oh, my gosh. And then, and then, uh, not, you know, Jalen Ramsey, you know, the Maroon, Jalen Ramsey thing. You know, people are talking about that Maroon's lost the team. I don't think so. I think he's lost Jalen Ramsey, not the team. But, you know, this they were a lot better team than they looked like they were going to go into the year with, with Nick sure. Foles and not, you know, Gardner Minshew or Zach Mettenberger, whoever the hell we played. And, you know, you can't control it. You can't control AJ Bouye getting hurt. You can't control Ngakwe getting hurt. You can't control uh, uh, um, Telvin Smith retiring. Well, he took a gap year. So he's he like, he's like, I don't, I'm not sure I want to major in. So I'm just going to, you know, I guess go live in the desert or something for a year and then I'll come back next year. Right. So you can't control things like that. So this team has, you know, has some issues talent wise that they didn't expect to have um, in week two. So, you know, I don't think they've necessarily lost this roster because, I mean, Minshew, man, Minshew must must really struggle to walk sometimes because his balls are just banging the ground. I mean, the guy (laughs) is just a beast. So, yeah, Doug Marone did a pretty poor job, but that last play call that he had was a real stinker. Yeah, I wonder whose decision that was because it definitely like looked like let's see who has the the bigger tits here sort of decision, you know. Whereas like we got we used a fourth overall pick on Leonard Fournette, we're gonna give him the ball, uh, and he has to get this or whatever. And like Fournette was gonna get it, and then Jester Reed stopped him at the goal line. And like a lot of people were like, oh, he smashed Fournette. He you know stopped him at the line. Not really. Like Reed just played the ball smartly. He just like that's what you do in rugby. Because in rugby, yeah. you have to actually set the ball down the end zone to score. And so a lot of times you have guys who will actually hold the ball up and like create like a jump ball pretty much, and then the ball goes back out. And that's what Reed did there. He just held the ball up. Uh, I thought it was a really great play, like really intelligent play by him. But, yeah, I couldn't believe that that's what they went with. Whenever you have a Texan secondary, they had trouble covering whenever the Jaguars actually started moving the ball downfield too. Um, did you think Marone made the right decision to go for two in that situation? So, yeah, and so I, w- I just want to add on. Yes, I absolutely believe he made the right call. Here's what Marone said in the postgame. I don't very rarely watch press conferences because I just don't get a whole lot of value from them. You know, it's the coach saying, yeah, that was my bad. What Marone said was that he had already decided upon the play once they started getting – once they got the first first down, I believe. He he'd already decided that was the play he was going to go with. So he completely ignored – that sample of that fourth quarter last minute drive <laughs> of DJ Chark eating Jonathan Joseph's lunch, lunch all the way down the field. He completely ignored Leonard Fournette out in the flat, wide open and creating 10, 15 yard gains. He completely ignored that to go with let's run the ball up the middle against DJ reader and JJ Watt. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I thought it was the right decision too. I was looking at the numbers like since 2015 
64% of the offenses that go for two pick up the first, uh, convert on the two points, and are able to get those two yards. And also in overtime, the team that wins the coin toss only wins 52% of the time as well, too, nowadays. So it just seems like your overtime is completely a coin flip. Unless you pick it, get the ball first, then you slightly have a better chance to win. And on the rare occasion, you have a fumble like Detroit and Arizona had the week before. But yeah, you have a greater chance of winning the game if you go for two in that situation to play for overtime. So I thought it was a great call to do that. I just thought it was a bad way to go about it. Yeah, don't run the ball up the middle of Houston's defense because you're going to have a bad time. And it was just, I was shocked. I was absolutely shocked at the play call. And here's one thing that stood out for me when that play happened is on the touchdown catch, Chark evidently hurt his ankle. Mm -hmm. And so he was not on the field for that for that conversion. So my thinking was, oh, they didn't go. They didn't throw the ball because Chark was out there. But then when Marone said what he did is I'd already decided upon the play call. See, that's 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 the problem with guys like Bill O'Brien and Doug Marone is they've already decided what they're going to do rather than taking what they've learned by actually watching the game. They have a pre you know, disposition decision that's stupid. Yeah. And it, I'm, and really, it's so beautiful too that Marone and O'Brien coached at Georgia Tech together because they're pretty much like the same person, except Mar- except O'Brien has better talent than uh, Marone has, and Marone was able to have like that one beautiful season, uh, you know, two years ago or whatever too. But like they both do kind of same sort of thing. They play down to their opponent. They play the game a specific way. Uh, they don't really adjust to it, and like they're they're both kind of like just like maddening. So the Jaguars drives in this one. Uh, nine yards punt, five yards punt, twenty-four yards punt, four yards punt, field goal before the end of the half. Uh, sixteen yards punt, thirty-one yards punt, negative nine yards fumble, eighty-six yards field goal, sixty-three yards touchdown, uh, negative one yard end of game. And so, like I was watching this game, it felt, really felt like the Jaguars were just kind of like what they typically do. They want to be power run heavy. They want to limit the number of throwing attempts that Minshew has. Where even though last week, like Minshew was very good throwing the ball downfield, whenever they were trying to uh, come back from behind and play, but this one because the game was close, they just kind of like clogged the game up. We're playing very conservatively. Uh, Minshew only averaged four point seven yards to the air on his completions, three point two and ten yards on his attempts. His average depth of target was only six point six yards. Like, do you think this game plan was more? Of uh, Romeo Cornell did a great job scheming to stop Jacksonville, or was this Jacksonville just being boring and just kind of holding off and uh, waiting to the end of the game to try to steal this one? I think it was playing scared. I do. That said, I spent a good hour and a half, almost two hours, Saturday night. I was texting with a friend of mine. You know, we were talking about first about the Gardner. Uh, Gardner Minshew's mustache and then about you know lots of 70s porn references because how can you not look at him you know when he came off the plane he was wearing a freaking leisure suit like direct (laughs) from the 70s it was one of the sexiest things I've ever seen in my life and I've got to get one um but like it was open like all the way to his sternum yeah like his shirt was I mean it was you know my nipples are hard just thinking about it and and so I actually he you know he I was like you know, I really didn't look at Minshew when I did my quarterback review in the offseason because he was a six-round pick in Washington State. They're a system team. And Tom Brave. So, well, Tom Brave's and, a six-round pick. Did you know that? Yeah, I know that. Outliers are outliers. So I decided to spend almost two hours of my life, of my precious time, watching Gardner Minshew tape. And you know what Gardner Minshew is? He is checked down Kirk Cousins, as you said in our in our hair of the dog thread. 
that's that's who he is. And so when I, you look at the game against the Chiefs, where he's actually pushing the ball down the field, that's not Gardner Minshew's strength. That's not his game. But he did it really well. I think it can be though. Is the difference, you know? Was, like, like I know Washington State is that Texas Tech game where they spread it out and their passing game is their run game and all that sort of thing. And but like he has really good accuracy and really good ball placement. Whenever they let him do it, and so like I was just really perplexed by this game by how short everything was. I think the biggest problem that he had was his pocket presence. Like he held on the ball for way too long, and like after three seconds, and you're standing there, uh, something bad's probably gonna happen, you know. And he was just kind of fades to the right, mercilessly able to take advantage of that and force fumbles twice against them. But yeah, like I think like he can be good if they allow him to be, you know. And I wonder how much of it was just him because I haven't watched the the video yet. And so I wonder how much of it's just him checking down or the fact that they just didn't have it open downfield. But it looked like Houston played a lot of cover one throughout this game. And so I don't know. And they also didn't attack the middle of the field that much too, something that Houston is susceptible with against New Orleans. And you you would think Jackson will have opportunity to do the same thing, just a more watered-down version of it. And they really didn't do it at all. Like a lot of their throws into the sideline to uh, Mark, it's not to Marcus Lee, but to Chris Conley and DJ Chark. Uh, I don't know. It was weird, though. It was a strange game. I really think it was more on Jacksonville just being like a Bill O'Brien team where the game's close, so we're not going to push it downfield. Oh, now we're down, and there's only seven minutes left, and we need to score. Now we're going to push it downfield. And wait a second here. Now we got things going, and uh, this is just a complete surprise, you know? Yeah, and all the the success, the tremendous amount of success that he had going to Chark, going to Conley down the field. If they do that all game, because we were, I mean, I was kind of shocked that we were playing cover one, you know? So they, it seemed like they had a lot of opportunity to do a lot of damage against us. And they missed that opportunity because they were too conservative. And I really think that missing Cam Robinson for was sure. a huge deal. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. And like, so he completed 23 of his 33 passes for 213 yards. He had one touchdown. He fumbled three times. Uh, I said that, yeah, if your average attempt only goes 3.2 yards in the air, you can't dress like that ever again. Like, those are the rules. You know? <laughs> like, you, it's it's brutal. Um, and I don't think this was like a great defensive game. I just think it was a bad game, like both all offensively. And, uh, like I just think each team just really wasn't like clicking on offense more so than being a great defensive game. And like throughout it, like my favorite, but I think the, the thing I'll, I'll always remember about this game isn't like Winnie Merciless having, you know, two forced fumbles or, uh, you know, the letter for net stop the one yard line. It's just like us just praying that they don't kick the field goal and send it to overtime. So the game finally ends and the, and the misery ends for it. Cause really like, watch this game. I feel like I was in hospice. Like I forgot what I was saying mid sentence. And, uh, what was I saying again? Oh yeah. And I was just, you know, crapping my pants and had dementia and, Nobody came and visited me, and I could was like, you know, too far gone to even enjoy isolation playing video games or something like that. <laughs> and uh, I was just waiting for them to plug, pull the plug the entire time at that point. And I really wish I was hungover too to enrich the experience because it was like perfect hungover AFC South football. And maybe, maybe like the Texans Titans game that comes up, I'll have to make sure to be hungover for. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like I just like I felt like I was in hospice. I'm so glad that Marum went for it. And uh, and that we didn't go into overtime in this one because it really was like there just wasn't a lot of good football plays in this game. It just seemed like both teams were just just weren't clicking. It was just a bad effort by both teams. Uh, and that's going to be when I go back when I'm 60 years old and 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 Bob's finally gone, hopefully, and that's in 10 years, <laughs> by the way. That and Bob's finally gone. The one thing I'm going to think about two things of the Bob era that was really stupid football 
all the time and it was boring yeah. football. Yeah. It's he plays boring football. And it's it's you know, even when you had the te- 2002 Texans, you know, that wasn't a good team. You had, you know, the Frank Smith years. You know, they weren't good teams, but they're always entertaining. But th- this team is often not entertaining, especially not offensively, which is so sad to say when you look at all the talent we've got on the offense and yet they just keep giving the rock to Carlos Hyde. Look, great, he's having a great year. Yep. He's got he got that four and a half yards per carry on Sunday. Hey, good for him. Will Fuller, DeAndre Hopkins, Deshaun Watson, you know, those guys are your those are your leaders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think that's my least favorite thing about the O'Brien Airs that you mentioned. A lot of the board a lot of the football here is boring, even with the weapons that they have and a lot of it you can make excuses for the quarterback position, but but that was partly Bill O'Brien's fault too in those situations. And then uh, like the best way to describe it, it's like it's like a, somebody who just like does everything right, or not necessarily everything right, but like doesn't make any risks, doesn't make any awful decisions, doesn't make any like great decisions, and then just ends up being you know mildly successful and has a has a fairly okay time. And like that's how it usually feels with Houston. Um, you know, like we used to be young once, you know, and now here it is in year six with the Brian era. And, uh, like I said, I think a lot of the football like you mentioned has been kind of boring too. But a more fun thing here, which so the Jaguars receiving core is Chris Conley, D.D. Westbrook, D.J. Chart, Keelan Cole, and Marquise Lee. Uh, let's play a game. Which which Jaguars receiver is your favorite? No, it's not even close. D.J. Chark, man, yeah, he's awesome. Because number one, Chark sounds a lot like Shark. Yeah, so how can you not or love Shark that? or Shark as well too. Not, yeah, Shark is a fine word. Yeah. Shark's a better word. <laughs> like I like to think Sharknado. Like that would be a really yeah, awesome yeah. movie. Uh, yeah, a shark, a shark fruitery board. <laughs> that would be that would be fun. I can't yeah. think of anything more fun than that. But he's he's tall, he's fast, he's he has, uh, he's he's like Carlos Hyde this year. He's a guy who who is all of a sudden has a different gear. And now, of course, the difference is is Hyde's like twenty eight and Chark's like twenty three. But uh, he's a lot of fun to watch out there. And I've always had a soft place in my heart for Chris Conley. I think that he is, he's always had the speed. And if, if there was going to be a point in time that he was going to learn how to run uh, routes better and that he's big and he can bowl over defensive back. So I, I like Chris Conley a lot. I admit it. Yeah. No, I, I didn't realize how tall Chris Conley was. He just, like everybody who plays for Kansas city looks smaller. I don't know what it is. They all look faster and they all look smaller whenever they're in Kansas city. And uh, shark reminds me a lot of Sammy Watkins, like the way they both look this year. Where they're like really fast out of nowhere, uh, they look a lot lighter too, and they're just like really great route runners as well. Like I remember, Char caught like two deep passes last year for Jackson. The one one of which was in that Kansas City game. Like who is this guy? Like where did it come from? Like he was a spectacular catch, and I was like, oh, this guy would been perfect for Blake Bortles in like 2014, not necessarily this year with what they do. And uh, it's been a lot of fun to see how he's improved, and I'm really glad that it was just an ankle injury that he had on his touchdown catch, and it wasn't like a, a blown ACL because watching the Jaguars I think it's gonna be a hard thing to do uh throughout this year but like you mentioned the Jaguars didn't have Nick Foles they didn't have Marquise Lee they didn't have AJ Boye they didn't have Yannick Ngakwe they didn't have Cam Robinson and like watching like this game live it felt like Houston should have been up by 17 I know I changed my prediction going into this one from like 24-20 Houston to uh, like 27-10 Houston. Like, I thought they would win by 17 or so pretty easily just with the amount of injuries the Jaguars have. And instead, they won 13-12. And so, do you still have the same concerns with Bill O'Brien, that same uh, sad song that he plays down to his opponent? Yeah, and just something fun I just saw. 
So Chark ran a four three four forty, and Lance Zierlein, when he wrote his com- comparison, his NFL comparison was Chris Conley. Okay, <laughs> that's pretty cool. I wish he made Sammy Watkins instead. I think yeah. he's better than Conley is. Oh yeah, definitely. I love man that kid's like. Fun. I think he can be a number one wide receiver. Oh yeah, six four. He's six four, running a four three forty, and his God, what is his vertical is forty, and his broad was one twenty nine. He's yeah, he's wild. pretty sick. Um. Yeah, as far as yeah, I mean Bill O'Brien is who Bill O'Brien is at this point in time. And as much as we want to hope and dream, and we can talk about you know, and we are going to talk about Deshaun Watson a little bit later on. Uh, he, I don't know what it is about Bill O'Brien. He has no interest whatsoever in in putting opponents away. He wants to keep that one score game. He gets up by three, and he thinks he's just going to coast the rest of the game. And I just don't. I don't get it matt i don't get i don't get that mentality like these are professional guys like you know when i played sports i didn't want to just beat guys i wanted to crush them you know you don't give them a chance don't let them breathe and and bill o'brien's just like oh i'm up by three prevent offense mm-hmm. and so that's the that was the feel especially when they went up 13 three i felt we went prevent offense because we just kept handing carlos hide the ball yeah yeah, I, I like every time they win, they lose the game now because especially when they lose games, it's going to be against passing offenses. I'm just going to play the hit and then just uh, I'm, I love that stat Rivers came up with or looked up whenever Houston gives up more than 22 points, they're four and 33 now. And so I, I need to go back and look at the river, the inverse of that, like what their record is whenever they give up less than uh, three, less than three scores to, and keep playing the same hits because I feel like the inver- the inverse of it is like you know he's 60 and 20 whenever they give up less than that amount. Uh, but yeah, I kind of agree too. I think he played down to his opponent. I think it was a game they should have won by a lot more. And we'll talk about the offense a little bit. But the numbers are really weird too for Sean Watson. And uh, he kind of weird game. But uh, defensively, the story from this game and the story from the entire year is Whitney Merciless is really good still. He had two sacks, two tackles for a loss, two quarterback hits. He had two forced fumbles. He was matched up against Will Richardson Jr. on the left side of the line. Uh, this guy is a, a former mid-round pick for Jacksonville. I believe he was drafted... In 2017, for him, he was competing at right guard with AJ Can, and after Cam Robinson was injured this year, he didn't hurt the same knee that he tore last year, the same ACL. It was the other knee kind gave out on him, and he hasn't played yet this year. And so Richardson was pretty good against Kansas City, but you didn't hear from him at all. Uh, but this game against him, Winnie Merciless, like really kind of devoured him from the very beginning. And it was also weird too that Merciless was rushing against him. You had thought Watt would have. But it looks like they're just going to keep wise against right tackles because every right tackle is worse than a left tackle, which is in the case. Uh, Juwan Taylor is better than Will Richardson. So what's the what's the biggest difference for Winnie Merciless from last year when he had a bunch of pressure, there's been no meaningful pass rushes, and this year where he's been like, you can say he's been dominant these first two games almost. Like he was dominant this game, but he's been the Texans' best defensive player. Uh, what do you think is the biggest difference between the past two seasons? Well, it's usage. I mean, clearly, he, he took over Clowney's place on the edge, and he's able to rush the quarterback instead of dropping into coverage way too often. I mean, how much did we talk about that last year? Is that we just, you know, you put Merciless, you made Merciless into a um, pass defense linebacker instead of, you know, we drafted him very specifically to get to the quarterback, and we just misused him really the last two years. He's been completely misused. So it, it's been good to see him, and he, he was dominant. Merciless won that game on Sunday. That was that was just give him the game ball, give him the W, and let him go home. And 
know, take it home with them because that was his game. Yeah. Without him, we do not win that game. And, and ultimately, I think that was that Robinson missing that game was a difference because Robinson doesn't fall for multiple, multiple spin moves, but those spin moves are beautiful at the same time. Yeah, the the second one he had was spectacular just because uh, Richardson didn't even touch him. And so, like, yeah. <laughs> like, you never see that as a pass rusher. It's always like jam the outside shoulder, you know, spin in size, the counter move. And, like, it was like time just stopped completely. And uh, he looked like a figure skater out there. So it was, it was beautiful. I mean,. Th- it's really nice seeing Merciless play like this. This is who we who we thought we drafted, and he was off and on early on. This is who we thought we got, whatever, seven years ago. So it's nice to see it. Yeah, and I mean, he was really good in 16, the year Watt went down, whenever Wendy Merciless and uh, and Jade Van Clowney were spectacular together, led that defense along with Boye. And like they should have beat New England in that divisional round. But uh, Namor Dact was the quarterback, and so unfortunately it didn't happen. But uh, yeah, he was like since that year he hasn't been the same sort of player. But I, again, like you mentioned, it's really just usage. He's it's not that he's playing on the edge because he played on the edge last year. Like I don't I don't know where that kind of like, narrative has come from. But the difference was that he played really wide out on the edge. He was like a wide nine technique, and he was a jet rusher. And he's not a speed and bing guy. He's not going to run around offensive tackles. He's going to rip around them. He's going to use his hands to knock them off of him. Um, he's going to have a, a fairly okay counter move. But like his bread and butter is, you know, swap the punch away, uh, chop, and then rip it to the outside. And so now playing closer to offensive tackles, you've seen the performances that he's had. Because like he was even good against Teron Armstead last week too. And so yeah, it's it's good to see Merciless have a good year, and it's good to see him like in a spot where he's better than. I get the frustrating thing, you know, for me as a fan, and uh, for you listening as a fan, is that like there this since this other narrative has taken place that. Well, the Texans don't need Jadavion Clowney because they have Whitney Merciless. Well, it's not that. Like, you can have more than two pass rushers. Like, it's okay to have more than two. It's good to have three pass rushers. It's good to have four pass rushers. Um, is the frustrating thing is that Romeo Cornell couldn't figure out a good way to use Watt, Clowney, and Merciless all at the same time. And that's completely on him by putting these guys in these designated roles. And it looks like Watt's more open at rushing from the interior. Uh, he rushed he had a couple pass rushes against Can. They're really good this game. And Clowney could have always been used as the interior rusher to put Merciless in more of these situations like this. So I wonder how much of last year was Merciless was still recovering from an injury and how much of it was where he was located. But I think like overall, like it's a it's a bummer seeing Merciless this good and then seeing how that they used him last year whenever they had all three of those players available. Um, and and like yeah, like you can have three good three good pass rushers. It's okay. It's a good thing to have that. It's good to get to the quarterback. Yeah, it's good to get your three best pass rushers in their best positions to play. Just just to repeat myself, at the risk of repeating myself, there are two primary goals in today's NFL. Keep your quarterback clean, get the other other quarterback dirty. Yeah. Those are the two first things that those are the most important things in the NFL today. I thought it was stop the run and run the ball. Yeah. <laughs> Again, it's not 1978 anymore, Bill. Yeah, and Doug as well too, because that's how, that's how this game fell. Okay, stop the run, run the ball. That's what that's what it's all about now. Um, so we had, we had a question from Nate thirteen fifty five. He asked BFD, does Merciless lead the team in sacks in the, at the end of the year? Uh, right now, he has three sacks. Nobody else has more than one at the moment. I think so, and and I still think and um, we, we saw it in the Jacksonville game. We really saw it in the Saints game too. J.J. Watt is getting a lot of attention, and rightly so, because you're 
when you're planning against the Texans, you do not want J.J. Watt to, to beat you. And so that's what they're doing. They're allowing teams right now are allowing Merciless to get to the quarterback because they're paying so much attention to Watt. And they're not going to take a whole lot of attention away from Watt. They might start now keeping an extra guy to block for, uh, uh, you know, a, an extra guy to chip Merciless or something like that. They're going to start controlling Merciless a lot more. But they're going to still throw everything they've got to stop Watt. They're not going to worry about, you know, guys like uh, Blackson or Covington or Dunn or um, a bunch of, a bunch of <laughs> non-playable characters. Oh dang it! I can't remember the dude's name. That uh, Earl Mitchell. They're not going to allow Earl Mitchell to get to the quarterback. It's insane how much money <laughs> Earl Mitchell's got paid in his career too. He's made like forty-five totally. million dollars. How? I have no idea. Oh my gosh! So I mean, they're all basically the same guy. And so they're not going to allow J.J. Watt to win. They're going to make Merciless do it. And he did it. But he also had a great matchup on Sunday. So um, I do see it. I do see that he, uh, that Merciless right now, I, I think he's going to lead the team in sacks. Um, Watt is going to face a lot of double and triple teams this year. Do you think Jadavion Clowney or J.J. Watt has more sacks this year? Clowney's up on him 1-0 at the moment. Yeah. So I... I um, God, that's a that's a hard question. I'm gonna say probably Watt. What do yeah. you think? I'm gonna go Clowney because Ansaw hasn't played yet. Uh, Jerome Reed hasn't played yet, and then also, have you ever heard of uh, Brandon Jackson? He was like a third round pick from Texas Tech. The Seahawks have. He was awesome against Pittsburgh last week. And then also, I forgot uh, how good Quinn Jefferson is too. Like I know he only had three sacks last year. But he's a competent interior pass rusher, mm-hmm. and like I just think he has more around him. And last, like last week, the same thing you're saying about Watt was Sheriff Clown against Pittsburgh, where they were able to double him. And Villanueva was like also a really big man, and so it, it like with the way they the, the way they use their blockers, it forced Clowney into like a lot of like bull rushes against Villanueva that didn't work out too well too. But yeah, I think Clowney ends up with more sacks than Watt just because I think he's got more one on one opportunities. And also, uh, you know, Clowney's 26 years old and Watt's 30 as well too. Yeah, but uh, since we're kind of on the subject, who I'm really excited about, who I am just really jazzed about, is Jacob Martin. Jacob Martin. Mm-hmm. He is. He might be the most pure speed bend pass rusher we've had, Big Matt. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, Houston really doesn't have one of those guys before, and he for sure is. I mean, he's a spring off the line of scrimmage, uh, and he's super explosive. And yeah, I, I mean, I just would like to see him get more snaps. You know. Like, uh, stop leaving Angelo Blackson and rush the passer. Or, like, DJ Reader's been good collapsing the interior of the, of the field, too. But, yeah, like getting him out on the edge, I think, will be very instrumental for Houston this season, too. Yeah. I, I, ultimately, you know, if we're looking at what would be best for the team, it would be a, in a sub package. It would be something like, um, you know, Watt on the inside. You got Merciless and Martin on the outside and throw one of the, you know, generic guys on the inside you know a men who can do that black our uh, uh reader's been doing that as you said get those three four uh you know th- get those three guys out there at the same time that's what i want to see yeah and and, he, and like even by saying move on the inside that's saying like put them on the inside shoulder of the offensive tackle and then put Mario merciless on the right on as a five technique right outside of that too you know like we're not saying like yeah put wall as a five and then put they got way out wide. You know, you can you can get them pretty closely together to be able to make some plays happen and get all get your best guys in the field. 
I think that's one of the things that Cronell needs to do a better job so far. Because the pass rush was better this game, but I think it was mainly because Will Richardson Jr. had a bad game uh, more than you know Cronell really doing a whole lot. And I know he created that that sack for Cunningham, you know, with that blitz, and he looked like he was a little bit more aggressive. But I think he needs to dial up even more. Yeah, and I'm and stop the nine wide stuff. I really hate the nine wide stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think Martin's the only guy on this team who can do it. Like they were, they use Brent Scarlett like that sometimes too. It's like he's not fast enough. Like that, he's kind of like merciless, where he's like squatty. Well, he's he's not really like merciless because he doesn't have the hands, but he's like a squatty guy. Like he's kind of like a pit bull, you know? Yeah, and 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 Scarlett had his best uh, pass rush on a freaking bull rush against Andy Norwell. Yeah, like I didn't even know that was a thing. Probably the best pass rush of his entire career. That was crazy. Uh, I was so mad today because it was like Charles Omenyehu had a pro football focus score of like 92 from this game. <laughs> like he, had, he had one play, and that was because like everything was collapsed around Minshew or whatever. But uh, yeah, that was a nice like inside-out move he had, and it was a really good move to hit the outside shoulder. And like he he's not he's a guy who's got to learn how to win with like hands and and like angles and that sort of thing. He's not a speed guy at all either, you know. Yeah. The only guy who can do who I think is really fit for the nine wide or is uh Trent Cole. That's the only guy who've seen pull it off. Yeah. Um so Watt this game, one two tackles, one quarterback hit. He recovered a fumble and like I was so glad he recovered that fumble. Like that's the one thing Watt is great at that you can't be great at. Like nobody's great at recovering fumbles except for JJ Watt in the history of football. And uh, it was really cool he came up with that one. And so this game, he was matched up a lot against Jaywan Taylor. Taylor was a guy who I thought was the fourth best tackle behind uh, Jonan Williams, then Andre Dillard, then Caleb McGarry, and then uh, Jawan Taylor has the fourth guy. And Taylor, I thought it should have been a first-round pick. He slid down to the second round because of these mysterious injuries that he never actually had. Like As soon as he was drafted by Jackson, he was like, yeah, I have no idea where, where any of that came from at all. And I think he did a really good job against Watt one versus one. Like, Watt kept trying to beat him to the corner, and that wasn't possible at all. I think the one thing Watt, whenever he did have success against him, it was attacking him head up. And Watt didn't really do that all that much against him. And so, like, that's my concern with Watt right now. Like, he's he's 30 years old, and he's been trying to beat guys around the edge, and he hasn't been able to do it at all. Uh, and it seems like he just looks slower. Like, he lacks that explosiveness off the line of scrimmage. And, like... Like Cameron Jordan's a really good example of a guy who like gets off the line that tie and is running at an angle to set up his, you know, outside rip like immediately. And Watt's trying to do that, he's just not getting there quick enough at all to be able to pull it off. Uh, so like do you have concerns about why? Is this just a slow season, like a slow start? Or is this the beginning of like the drop from being an all pro player to maybe just being like a, a good one? I hate this question for the record. Um I, I do think this well, is... I'm, I'm, like, I'm like Barbara Walters, you know? Yeah, seriously. Um, we kind of saw it last year. To to a large degree, we saw kind of, you know, he, he's had a couple of injuries. Guys get old, you know? Um, you know, I used to run a, a 4-3-40, as long as you don't need proof. <laughs> and now it's only 4-5. I mean, you get older. And so and things happen and there's a kind of a magic to thir- being 30 years old. Um, it, it's, it's unless you're a quarterback, quarterback, unless you're quarter- position where you can play where like you peak at 31, I think for quarterbacks. Yeah. But well, 30 is you kind of peak physically at 28. Mm-hmm. If you're a football player. And then, but 30 is when things start to really slow down. So I've, there've been studies of it in baseball. I mean, there, there've been a lot of studies of it on ba- in baseball. 
that, you know, your kind of peak years around 27 and then around 32, you start going downhill and football's around 30. And I, I think we're just starting to see that JJ Watt's just getting older and he's getting a little bit slower. And again, I think he's getting a lot of attention. You're, you said it, he's, he did have some one-on-ones, but he, there were also times when he had three guys who touched him on the mm-hmm. same play. So I, I think that um, this is, this is what we've got with JJ Watt at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I mean, like I just think Jawan Taylor is a matchup. He would have won last year whenever he had his 16 sack season. Like, and Taylor is better than Chad Wheeler is. He's better than Corey Robinson was, uh, and that sort of thing. But it just seems like a matchup where he should have at least had, you know, a sack and a half or, or won one of those matchups. And I know Taylor got called for, like, one bad holding penalty. They missed some other ones on Watt that they didn't call. Uh, and, and, like, and I, I do think they do need to use him, just find the best matchup and go after it. Because the best matchup in this game for him was against A.J. Can. And he had, like, one really great pass rush against him where Can just completely grabbed him around the waist. And they didn't call it. And so I wanted to see more of that too. I think, you know, Cornell just needs to do a better job on his end as far as just like getting his pass rushers in better spots because he's not in the situation he was in last year with with Clowney where he's like, yeah, I can put kind of this guy anywhere. I can put Watt kind of anywhere. And uh, and they're going to be able to make things happen. He doesn't have that same luxury that he had in previous years right now. No. He needs to be craftier. Uh, well, I think he needs to be smarter. I, I think he... he... Look where he had his major success his, his early on in his career. That was playing a three-tech, right, and using that swim move in the three. Am I drunk or am I right? Or am I wrong? Anyway. But yeah. wasn't it playing the three-tech and using the swim move to beat guys on the inside? Yeah, and that was predominant. And, and then he would also bounce out wide, you know, as a seven and a nine when he needed to. Uh, they like to use him a lot like as a three on rushing downs, or like running downs and then bouncing out wide in passing situations. But... They move them all over. Because like, looking at you know, kind of the numbers here, Merciless had two quarterback hits, Cunningham and Omanier who had one. Gibson had a quarterback hit, Watt had one. And uh, and you know, Merciless had two sacks, Cunningham had a sack, Omanier who had a sack. But like overall, like there just isn't like, the distribution of pass rushing that there should be here. And I think he can do a much better job. I think he can be more aggressive as well too. Um, but you know, again, you don't you kinda don't want to blitz sometimes whenever you consider the guys he has on the outside. Hey, Omen Yehu's sack was like the fastest sack this year. Oh, yeah. It's like 2.27 seconds. That's good. Or something crazy. Yeah. Oh, and one other stupid stat I wanted to mention. When Jacksonville punted, I think it was the first quarter. It was like a fourth and two on their 48 or something. It was like a 97th percentile poor punt, according to that one. God, I got to find that. But there's like some... Some Twitter account yeah, now the, that, that the coward shows the worst, thing. Mm-hmm. the coward punt thing. It was it was a total coward punt. Yeah, I, I bet like, you, Bill. I got. I want to get a chart of that because I bet you, like, the bottom twenty five percent is all Bill O'Brien. <laughs> he's been better this year so far with the fourth down things he's do, he's done. Uh, but yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, I just saw that Omniyahu sack was two point seven seconds, and DJ Hayden blitzing freely. His sack was you know three seconds, uh, which is a good example of the difference between the two. So, so going back to Minshew real fast, because this ties into the secondary. And we haven't talked much about Jonathan Joseph and Bradley Roby on the outside. Uh, last week, we talked mainly about Zach Cunningham. We talked about Bernard McKinney. We talked about Tayshawn Gibson. We talked about Aaron Colvin. We talked about all those guys being unable to cover Ted Ginn and Alvin Kamara and Jared Cook and Michael Thomas on the middle of the field. Um, this week, Minshew didn't throw the ball down the middle of the field really at all. Over 10 yards, he didn't attempt one pass through the middle of the field over 10 yards, which is really strange whenever you consider what Jacksonville typically does on offense, 
whenever you consider what New Orleans did to Houston the week before. Uh, instead, he threw down the sideline a lot. He completed five of his nine attempts over 10 yards for 75 yards and one touchdown. And it really felt like he should have thrown 18 passes over 10 yards down the sideline in this game. And I don't really feel like Bradley Roby or Jonathan Joseph have been pressed yet this season. Uh, what, what about you? Do you think that they've had a, they played a fine game here, or do you think that's just something that's sitting there, you know, waiting to be exploited that we may see as early as this week with uh, Philip Rivers, or maybe as early as Week Five with Matt Ryan? I mean, why are you asking me when you got Pro Football Focus can go give you a perfectly good score? I mean, what well, am I? I? I can't. I can't do that. I don't have that kind of knowledge, Matt. <laughs> I think Lonnie Walker like at fifty four point six, which like and he like he defend that one play really well. That was a good way to play the ball. Like, that's how like New England plays the football. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> no, uh, I'm being yeah, I know for sure. Of course, yeah. Uh, I I do not think we've seen that with with uh, Joseph being really pushed. And and let me give you an example of this because what really struck me again on that last drive is if it would have been. Minshew to Chark, Minshew to Chark, Minshew to Chark, because they were chewing up Jonathan Joseph on that drive. I mean, they were chewing him up, and then they stopped. And then it took until the touchdown to, to go back to Chark again. There were times that Joseph wasn't even really in the frame. I mean, that matchup was so beautifully supreme. Chark was eating him alive. And so, no, I don't really think we've seen it because, uh, you know, Breeze didn't exploit that matchup too much. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and, and, and Breeze just isn't really a sideline field thrower at all anymore. He doesn't have yeah. he doesn't have the same zip he used to have. Arm strength. So I, I was kind of shocked to be quite honest that that, that he hasn't been pressed a lot more, um, Joseph. Because I mean, I tell you what, if I'm the offensive coordinator and I see Joseph out there, I'm going right after him. I'm just gonna I'm gonna dagger him every game. Yeah, Matt. and I, I mean, also you kind of want to run maybe like some bunch formations. Just try to get him in like vertical situations and the speed of receivers. And the Jags have a lot more speed of wide receiver than you think. It's just the way that they used it uh, with Blake Borles at quarterback that I don't think they've really fully exploited um, so far this year too. But yeah, and like Roby hasn't, Roby didn't get very many snaps against Michael Thomas, but he has issues against the best wide receivers in football whenever he's tasked with being like a, a prototypical number one cornerback. But yeah, I think next week we're going to see Keenan uh, Allen have a big game. I wonder how often Philip Rivers actually throws the ball down the sideline, and how often they take advantage of some of that stuff uh, down there on the sides. But they've—I think they've played well so far. But I feel like they haven't been pressed yet, and I think it's kind of like the next thing that's sitting there uh, for offenses to attack. So Watson, talking about the offense now, Deshaun Watson won the weirder games of his career. Like he looks super emo. Like I don't know what he was so sad about, but like he just didn't look like himself. He didn't look like he was having very much fun out there. Uh, he was sacked four times. He was hit seven times. He was hurried eight times. He completed 16 of his 29 passes for 159 yards. Uh, do you think just him getting hit as much as he's been, do you think it's like finally starting to wear on him? Or what was going on with him in this game? I've thought long and hard about this one, and i got to give a hat tip to, to diehard Chris. I, I think his back was hurting. Okay. And I, that's I'm going to go with that, and I have nothing to base that on, but his throws isn't, didn't have the same zip. He was really really struggling to get up sometimes after he was hit I, I, you know again I'm, I'm purely speculating here but it seemed like his back was really bothering him because when he does not ha- he did not have the same follow-through and he spent a lot of time kind of throwing off his back foot as well and wasn't able to get through balls uh, I'm thinking of the um, throw to Will Fuller 
down the right sideline in yeah. the second quarter or that, you know, that's, you know, he throws such a beautiful ball. Watson does. He throws such a beautiful spiral. It's such a catchable ball because it's so tight and he just doesn't seem to have that. He didn't seem to have that ball on Sunday. Yeah. And, and like the numbers are weird too, because he threw the ball downfield a lot. Like I know we talked about like, you know, Bill Bryan kind of being cowardly this game, but Watson did throw the ball. He did push it. He just wasn't very good at it. Uh, his average step to target was 12.8 yards. His average completion traveled 7.8 yards to the air. But he was only he was 413 on passes that went 10 yards down the field for only 89 yards. A lot of his kind of first downs they threw were to Hopkins on shorter stuff. Uh, and Will Fuller did drop a deep pass that he should have caught. But like the one you mentioned, that was the ball that was underthrown uh, that he wasn't able to really come back and get to. And so, yeah, it, it was weird. Like, I've never seen Watson throw the ball downfield that poorly. Um, and maybe, and usually whenever you're kind of confused about a player, it's because there's an injury going on there that you're, you're not sure of. I think Cam Newton's a really good example of that. He's been, like, they have, like, the next-gen stats, and his com- his completion percentage is 49%. His, like, expected completion percentage was 60% based off, like, the, the separation on his throws that he had. And so you're like, well, why is he so inaccurate? And and usually whenever those sort of situations happen, it's because of an injury. And they came out today that Cam Newton's foot, Cam Newton, uh, Cam Newton, his foot is is bothering him again. The same foot that he I think broke last year, or has has been hurt previously. And so I I you know you saying that, and based off that, Chris saying that too, it does sound like a situation where Watson may be hurt, especially after all the hits he's taken, and also like the way he fell. Like that was like falling, like doing the 900 and getting 15 feet of air on a skateboard uh, when he had that touchdown, that running play against New Orleans, too. Yeah, and the and back injuries suck. And I, I had go old man here. I had a, a major back surgery. God, it's been a long time ago, about 13 years ago. And before that, the, the three years leading up to it, I was so powerless. I had nothing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was just, I could barely walk at times. It was so bad. Back injuries sap your entire core strength and that's just i mean again i'm speculating i'm projecting let's just be honest here and and perhaps that's what it was but he is taking a lot of, not only is he taking a lot of hits he's taking a lot of big hits which is also making it a little bit more problematic and and if your back is hurting if your back is spasming at all man that that ish really sucks and yeah Screw that. Yeah. <laughs> I remember those days. Those were horrible days. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, Watson, he had 29 pass attempts. He was blitzed on 16 of those attempts. Three of Jacksonville's quarterback hits came from their secondary. They didn't register one sack from their defensive line either. Uh, so is this how teams are just going to play Houston now as they swirl their offensive line? Uh, DJ Hayden also, you know, you brought the slot cornerback blitz. Uh, that was a Kenny Moore special from last year. Jacksonville used it in this game. DJ Hayden had two quarterback hits in one sack. So, like, are you? Is this just how teams are going to play Houston so they're able to adjust and prove otherwise so they can one pick up pick up these blitzes and two Watson actually is able to? I don't think he sees them very well before the snap either and doesn't take advantage of calling audibles and throwing at the blitz and that sort of thing too. Oh yeah, I mean, why wouldn't you? You saw the success the Colts had just completely shutting down the Texans offense in the playoffs last year. Man, you're just going to do it until they can stop it, and they can't stop it. And you damn well know Bill O'Brien is not going to adjust to it until week eight or nine. So just they're going to keep doing it. And I, that's what we're going to – I think that's just a fair expectation to set. DJ Hayden with those sorts of stats getting to the cornerback, that, that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah, and I think a lot of this too is because of what we talked about. You know, going into this, going into the summer, is that the biggest thing the Texans have to do is find five starting guys for their offensive line. Like, you know, throw them all on the island, let them battle it out, see who your five best guys are, and stick with that five and let them play together, let them get adjusted to each other, let them get as many reps as they can possible together. And so that way, whenever week one comes, you have a, a group of guys who are used to playing with each other. Instead, what happens is the Texans use uh, an offensive line combination during the week one that never played together in the preseason. This week, they used an entirely new offensive line combination with Sancho Henderson being benched for Roderick Johnson, Tyus Howard starting for Senio Calamente. Um, How did you think Roderick Johnson played at right tackle this game? And what did you make of Tyus Howard's first start? I thought Howard kind of struggled at times. I will say, so he's got a lot. He's got to build, I think, some, he's got to get some reps. You know, he's, you're asking him to go from tackle to guard. You know, he was our tackle of the future just a couple of months ago. Right. Mm-hmm. But I will say I was pretty excited about Rod Johnson's game. I thought he did a fantastic job. He had a couple of issues, his first start. He's a young guy, but he also came in with a reputation of once he gets you, you are done. And I felt like he did that a couple, many times on the pass rush. Uh, Johnson really excites me as a right tackle. I'll just be flat out honest. I think I think the guy has some serious skills. I think he was a great pickup for the team. Yeah, Matt. yeah. I I didn't get a chance to really watch either of them all that much. Um, I wasn't really paying attention to them. I was watching a lot of Kalias Campbell versus Laramie Tunsil, and and that was a lot of fun to watch. Mainly because you can bull rush Tunsil. Uh, the guys that beat Tunsil are guys who who are speed guys until Tunsil kind of fix some of some of the hands hand issues that he has. Uh, but yeah, I didn't really see much. The one thing that really made me mad, though, was that Tyus Howard tripping penalty. Uh, I hated that so much, mainly because I remember whenever Watt was playing the Colts in 2014, and Goster Chairless was their right tackle. And this was the same week Chairless said, you know, Genevion Clowney's done. He had mic- microfracture knee surgery. I had that surgery. He's never going to do anything in his career. And then uh, he's playing against Watt, and he, I got, he did that in that game. Watt beat him on an inside move. And then he slid his left leg all the way out, tripped him. They didn't call it. And it was like a, a hockey goalie, like ch- kicking a, a puck away. And I was so angry whenever that play happened, they didn't call it. And I was so angry whenever Tyus Howard did that on that play too. Like I think tripping a defensive lineman is like the most cowardly thing you can do. Uh, but other than that, like I don't really have an opinion on either one. I, haven't chance, I didn't really get a chance to watch him much. Just like I said, I was paying more attention to Tunsil. But I'm excited to start watching the video tonight after this conversation with you. Uh, to take a look at those two guys. I will say when Tunsil got hurt, I was just, oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. That was terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. And, and hopefully like they found their five offensive linemen. I think that's an important thing here is that like, okay, these are our five guys. We're going with this. This is what we're doing. And uh, hopefully nobody gets hurt and they can just stick with these five because until they learn how to pick up a blitz, the pass, the, the pass protection is going to be bad. And, it takes more than offensive tackle to you know, have a good pass protection. It takes it takes a village to raise a child, you know. And until they get this whole thing figured out, and they and their running backs know when to stay in when they, when they leave, whenever they figure out how slide protection's over, whenever Watson starts figuring out how to read the blitz and finding his hot route, uh, it's gonna happen. This is gonna happen a lot. Teams are gonna blitz them. They're gonna play against a blitz heavy team this week. That's not only gonna blitz from their front seven, but they have three safeties that can blitz too. Uh, their cornerbacks can blitz some in uh, out Los Angeles too. So this is going to be like a big issue throughout the year. And so I think it's something that's going to be very valuable to pay attention to 
but yeah, so I don't know. I I'm excited to watch these two guys, but more than anything, I'm, I'm excited to hope. I really hope that they finally found like a starting offensive line, and they should have found this out like in July, you know. But here we are, and I guess what matters now is that they figure something out for sure. Well, the only excuse I can kind of give is that I, I don't think anybody knew what Rod Johnson was going to turn into, and mm-hmm. I think I think he's a heck of a football player. I really do. I mean, the guy's a monster. His feet are quick. Um. I'm really excited about him. I'll just be honest about it. Um, but the way that they kind of played Yahtzee with the offensive line, and then we signed the third best center on the team to a three-year contract extension, that doesn't help. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's um, once again, it's kind of poor player evaluation in a lot of ways. Rod Johnson was the one. He just happened to be that good. The Browns must be really kicking themselves, especially as bad as their offensive line has looked uh, this year. Yeah. The, you know, to lose a player that, of that kind of promise so you know i guess the questions are what does max sharping fill fit into all this if johnson's playing so well at right tackle do you turn turn sharping into your right guard and then what do you do with fulton at that point in time because now he doesn't have a play so did you waste a pick with with sharping so you know it's when i think about the houston texans there's one line that always kind of comes to mind It's, it's really the line that and i might have used this metaphor before on the show i can't remember but it's a line from the movie The Hunt for Red October. It's Fred Thompson. He says, uh, the Soviets, son, don't take a dump without a plan. And it's like the, the Texans just have no plan. Mm-hmm. And it's just – it's like, oh, it's Tuesday. What are we going to do today? That's going to be strange and different and unusual. Got you got to have a plan. I just don't see it, and I really don't see it with the offensive line. And you know that goes back to Brian Gain. That goes back to trading for Tunsil. Like, hopefully there's a plan that's eventually developed because the offensive line for the Texans is going to get Deshaun Watson killed unless they stick to what they've got now. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. Um, we had a question from Twitter from Chris Bueller. And he said, how did you rate Tunsil so far? How do you think he fits in the scheme? And uh, I think he's played you know, very well. Like, I don't think he's a dominant left tackle yet. I think he can be. Um, I think the biggest problem is that his, he just has some hand issues. And then, like, in the run game, too, he doesn't really turn guys well enough as an outside zone blocker. Like, he needs to start being better at walling him, like, getting himself between the running back and the defensive end. He allows guys to sit too much and make tackles on the play. Uh, and then once he gets his hand issues, I think speed rushers aren't going to be able to get around him. Because, like, his feet are there. Like, they're not beating him with with speed at all. They're beating him just with with hand placement and knocking his hands away. Uh, Hendrickson and of New Orleans did a really great job beating him like that too. But yeah, I mean, I think he's very good. I I don't I wouldn't have traded Jadavion Clowney, and I wouldn't have traded two for us for a picks and second round pick for him. Um, but you know, this is where we're, this is where we're at now. And Tensel's you know a very good player. I think he I think he fits in well too, especially with just like I think he's a much better inside zone blocker than outside zone blocker. But uh, I think that can change as as he better understands his angles and that sort of thing where he plays his body. Yeah, I was excited. Tunsil was one of my favorite left tackle prospects to come out in a long time. I love the kid. You know, I'm glad he's on the team, even though we greatly overpaid for him. Yeah, he, he's doing well. He's 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 doing well. He's he's not dominant, but he's 25 freaking years old. I mean, he's still getting to the dominant part of his his career. Look what Dwayne Brown was. Look where Dwayne Dwayne Brown was at 25, and look where Tunsil is at 25. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, so the Texans are still a good running football team. Carlos signed 90 yards on 20 carries. He had six first downs. 
Yeah, according to Pro Football Reference, and that Pro Football Reference now has this like advanced stats page. I don't know where they're pulling these stats from. Maybe from like the NFL uh, next gen stats or whatever. But they said he had 71 yards after contact and he broke three tackles. So I'm guessing you know, he had two big runs off of that. Uh, but are you do, like are you still surprised every time you see Carlos Hyde do this sort of stuff? And like, what do you see from the run blocking for him? I'm shocked. He, Carlos Hyde is making a lot of his own yards, is what I'm saying. It which shocks me. I mean, Carlos Hyde at Ohio State didn't have these quicks. I mean, when he came out of college, I just thought he was he's a middling kind of running back. Yeah, sure, he was a second round pick, whatever. I didn't see this out of him in college. He looks like a completely different guy. Yeah, I really liked his first two years at San in San Francisco, in San Francisco though, and uh, and like his last two years, like whenever he was as bad as he was in Jackson last year, I was like, what happened to this guy? Because I did like watching him in San Francisco. I was kind of hoped he would become a number one running back, and then all of a sudden you're 29 years old, 28 years old. And that ship sails, and he's really taken over the number one running back spot over Duke Johnson. Johnson's kind of he's, he's kind of filled back in as what you expect him to be with Lamar Miller on this team. And so, like Johnson, I mean, uh, Hyde is just taking over completely for where Lamar Miller was. I miss Martinez Rankin. I always will. I wish he became a starter here in Houston because like, he's for sure going to start in Kansas City one day, and uh, and like he's just going to be spectacular there because Kansas City can turn anybody into an offensive lineman. But I think the high trade has been good for Houston in the situation they were in, and uh, he's been he's been really good. The one thing I want to say about the run blocking, though, whenever you see a big run game, like go back and rewind it and watch Zach Fulton, because it's usually because of him. They're like they're doing a lot, they're cutting back a lot behind his block, and he's making Nick Martin look competent. Where like you have a, a like they'll be like running outside zone left, and he'll just slam the three technique into Martin, and Martin's like. Kind of like it's like he's underneath the ocean. He's able to grab on and hold, and then Fulton's able to get up to the second level. But I think Fulton's been the team's best run blocker by far. And I think he's created a lot of runs on his end. And so just like yeah, whenever you watch Houston play, you see a big run. Just rewind, you know, 15 seconds back, watch it again, watch Fulton, because I think he's been a monster in the run game so far. Yes, yeah, because you ain't gonna get it from Martin, and you know. We should get it from Howard. I mean, Howard ultimately should become a really above-average run blocker is my deep thought on that. Yeah, hopefully. And, I mean, the other thing with Howard, too, Kalias Campbell beat him a lot, but he kind of had that J.J. Watt problem where he was in the backfield, but he just wasn't making tackles. And yeah. Campbell probably should have had, like, five tackles for a loss, but he just wasn't able to bring him down. And uh, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to watch the video tonight. So we have a new segment here. It's called... Oh, uh, hold on. Before, before you tra- transition okay. to that... Campbell looked hurt all Sunday. Yeah, and he he came off the field at one point. So I would love to hear your feedback on that because he did not look right to me either. I'll have to I'll have to watch the video. I know that there was they didn't know if he was going to play week one. They didn't know if he was going to play week two. Uh, he couldn't get anything as an edge rusher against Tunsil. He was able to get some pass rush on the interior. It's kind of what we talked about with Watt, where it's like Watt should rush against Can. Uh, Campbell should just rush against. Uh, Tyus Howard this entire game, and he didn't do that either in it. And I also, you know, you would expect to see, I thought Josh Allen was going to have a better game. He didn't. But something that I'll have to watch out for whenever uh, I'll watch the video and I just how Campbell looked too. Yeah, so, love to hear your opinion. Yeah, so we have a new segment here. It's called Smooth Grandma Lightning Round. So we had some listener questions. <laughs> yeah. And Smooth Grandma asked like five questions. So We'll go over four of them, which ble- and then the other one bleeds into a fifth one. So this is a lightning round for you, BFD. I got four questions for you. 
Ew. Are you ready? Are you ready for some smooth grandma? Do it. Do it. So do for it, it. for pretty much anyone, how many kicks in a row would Fairbairn have to miss before he was cut? And this is coming after Trevor Daniel was released, sadly. Which I, I just want to say, I'm super mad Daniel was released. I think he's been fine this year. He was really good last year. I couldn't believe they brought competition against them. And also, like this isn't a meritocracy Houston's running. Shane Leckler lasted six years of being the worst punter in football. And Daniel has one bad punt, and now he's gone. We have the punter that was, as Tim wrote, the punter that was drafted before Russell Wilson. The Russians have a, have a plan to take a dump, son. Texas don't have a plan. Okay, that wasn't very lightning. So I think Fairbairn can miss three kicks, and then that's it. No, maybe two. Let's go two. Okay. Who is more important to our pass rush currently, Jacob Martin's explosiveness off the edge or DJ Raider's massive inside push? Ooh, good question. I'm going to go with Martin because that guy's starting to create some havoc. And in, in, even in limited snaps, and especially as the season goes on and he gets more, he's going to, he, I like that guy. Okay. Uh, Roby, he's looked pretty good covering the slot and covering the middle of the field. Has Lonnie Johnson proved enough to allow Roby to be the primary slot cover guy? No. I I hated watching Lonnie Johnson play on Sunday. He's not very good. Yeah, I think that's the best case situation for this defense. I think if that happens, this could be a good pass defense if Roby can play the slot and Johnson can play outside. I just don't think Johnson can play man coverage at all. Uh, he had one. He had one good pass breakup, but he 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 can't tackle. His angles are terrible. I mean, we've gone from having Jonathan Joseph and Kareem Jackson as your run support on the outside to the corpse of Jonathan Joseph and Lonnie Johnson. I mean, you know, the, the drop off from that is like, seriously, that's like going from that. That's like going from, from big Matt to me, you know, <laughs> it, it's, you're going from tall, handsome and, and beautiful to the short bald guy. It's just <laughs> not cool. Uh, we're not very good at the lighting round. Tayshawn Gibson looked horrible. <laughs> Tell me why he isn't. He had a bad day. He's really, he's a good football player. He's a good football player. Give him time. Yeah, I think they're kind of using him as their slot corner is the biggest problem, and he isn't that. And they're playing cover one, and Reed's just back there being a janitor. He's just cleaning up things. He's not making, like, impact plays. He's just tackling competently, and they're using Gibson kind of as their slot corner. Um, the one thing I will say about Johnson is my least favorite thing in sports is the athlete who is okay, but... <laughs> celebrates like he's the greatest player of all time. And this is the same like Tyron Matthew thing. Like Matthew was fine for Houston, wasn't terrible, but just the way he carried himself made me sick. Uh, Johnson having one pass breakup and then doing the my penis is a fire hose celebration was just like Brand Harris, you know, celebrate incompletion then turning around. There's a defensive pass interference penalty behind him. And I I just and also like talking uh, talking smack on Instagram during preseason seven-on-seven drills is just unbelievable too so i don't know we'll have to see what happens but i'm not really enjoying the lonnie johnson here all that much no and you know who's been really bad this year if you haven't seen is 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 tyron matthew has been oh yeah terrible yeah terrible that jacksonville game you see him in the box like down low and then you see his guy run right past him he's turning around chasing and the guy's wide open you're like yeah i want to see it all just keep feeding me keep feeding he was he was he was worse on Sunday. He had a DPI. That was one of the worst I've ever seen. I can't wait. I can't <laughs> wait. I wrote my 10 things and like, I try to watch as many games as possible. I was only able to watch like six or so condensed to write off of. And so I'll have to for sure go back and watch that KC game to get some Tyron Matthew slop. I'm a, I'm a pig. I'm a pig. I want more of it. Uh, 
So the next question we have is from, this is a combination of Smooth Grandma and DX Tex. Uh, they asked, would you package one of our excessive receivers in trade for Ramsey still as a second rounder, third rounder, or maybe cutie, or uh, because this is, after seeing all these bla- these off- all these awful Javon Clowney trades, I guess you can throw DeAndre Carter in a, in a third round pick for uh, Ramsey, and that'd be fair trade capital, because I'm so upset still, like the stuff that Philadelphia Eagles fans threw out there. And then DX Tex asked, should Obi go full money ball, which isn't money ball at all, but uh, no. should he send a 2020 through 2024 first-round pick to Jackson for Ramsey and kind of go all in on this team right now? So so let's be very, very clear on what Moneyball was about. Moneyball was about finding market inefficiencies and exploiting them. You don't exploit market inefficiencies by trading your entire like draft capital for the next four years. Okay, That's not what Moneyball was about. <laughs> yeah, that's like Elton Brandball. I... <laughs> Because that's what the that's what the that's what the seventy sixers did. Oh my god, that was pretty good. I like that one. Yeah, that's good. Uh, look, sure, I would absolutely. I would send Stills and a second. I would send Stills a second and a third for Jalen Ramsey. They ain't gonna do it. Yeah. Uh, they're gonna want two first round picks. They're gonna want two first round, and, and they if, should. And if they because they they can give him his fifth year option next year, he has to take it. He's under contract. And then they can give him, they can franchise tag him after that. So he has two years, they have two years of control over him. You know, he can't just force his way out to any team he wants to without them getting what they want. He doesn't have the leverage that Clowney had. Clowney had the leverage because the Texans didn't trade him before the deadline. So the team couldn't agree to a long term contract with them. And so no team wanted, teams didn't want to trade a first round pick for a rental that they may have for four months for a guy who may go on and leave after the fact, anyways. And that was all on Houston for botching that entire situation. The Jaguars are in that situation, so they can't get, you know, some crumbs and uh, half of a tuna fish sandwich and uh, some of the nuts underneath the car seat, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, no, yeah, that, that's not going to... The way... Look, Jalen Ramsey is two first-rounders and a second-rounder because the Texans just set that as the market value for a player, a young player at a premium position. For, so that's what we're looking at. And also at a, de- a desperate team panicking... For at a new right. premium position. So, like, if you have... I mean, really, the only way I can see him getting traded this year is if, like, I don't know, none of the none of the top teams going into this year are bad uh, with the expectations that they have really right now to warrant trading something like that. Maybe, I guess maybe, like, Atlanta doing something like that. But uh, overall, like, I really I really don't see, like, two first-round picks happening at the moment. No, we don't have... The, the fact is, we don't have the draft capital to make that trade. Yeah, for sure. Um, the other question we have is from Texadea, Texas. He said, when will O'Brien start calling play actions and screens to take advantage of other misdirections for all the times opponents clearly sell out to either blitz or stop one of our obvious run plays? And like, the only screen pass he likes to run is that stupid tunnel screen. God, it it works. I think it's worked four times in the six years he's been here. Like, and I also, I can't believe he's been here for six years. Like I was young once. Like I used to not have, I had zero gray hairs and now I have like seven, you know? I hate it. I like. I hate how long it's been when we've been doing this. <laughs> Bill O'Brien still thinks it's 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 he's coaching Tom Brady. I you know I, I don't know what else to say. He 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 can't adjust. He he has got he. God, I hate him. I do. <laughs> I do. I really do at this point in my life because he hasn't shown me. Look, if it, at some point in time last week. Against the Saints, like he came out and he did some good things, and then this week he reverted to the same stupid crap that drives me straight up the wall. 
it, it's it's so infuriating. You we have so much skill position talent and you can do things like I'm watching the Browns last night and they're getting Baker Mayfield out of the pocket and they're getting him out in space and allowing him to make plays with his legs and throwing the ball. Baker Mayfield, man, Baker Mayfield does not like to run the ball. He wants to push the ball downfield. Deshaun Watson can do the same thing. Let him go play. Let him play some street ball. Oh my gosh. It drives me crazy. Yeah. I didn't, there wasn't a play action in this game against Jacksonville and I don't think he moved the pocket once. Like Watson's just trapped in there. Like he's he's in a Chilean mind most of the time he's playing quarterback. Oh, it just kills me. Oh my gosh. And and <laughs> if you look at the stats, if you look at the stats, the the quarterback with the best QB rating in twenty eighteen out of the pocket was Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson. Um yeah, I think this is a great point that uh Texas Day of Texas brought up. That yeah, they they should run I don't I don't want to see any screen passes from O'Brien. They should definitely run more play action. They should definitely throw more like running back screens at the blitz. And especially when you have Tunsil and you have Howard and you have a more athletic offensive line than you've had previously. I think those opportunities are available to you. Uh, I wish Houston was a good screen team. They just never have been. And I've, every time I hear screen, I just like, and thank Houston Texans. I just cringe now, but yeah, it'd be a great idea for them to run more of them and be able to do it successfully. They just haven't been very good at doing it. Uh, and yeah, like I think for sure they need to run more play action. So I think that's a great point. So our last question tonight is from upper root Texan BFD. And he said, why do apples float and pears sink? Because apples aren't very dense and pears are winning. There you go. That's what I would guess too. <laughs> also, if you here's a here's a good live tip too. If you're ever Because they aren't witches either. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. If you're ever uh if you're ever out in the wild or you're out in public and you see somebody eat the core of an apple, that's how you know that you're you're around a good hippie right there. If you see somebody eat a core apple, that's a hippie that's that's out, out there. Wow, I yeah. did not know that. Yeah, I because I, I eat the core of the apples, and when I see somebody, it's like, okay, there's there's one of my people over there. There's somebody. It's kind of okay. like it's kind of like the hobo language where they have their like outside the house, you know, the garf stuff in the trees. It's kind of like the same sort of thing. <laughs> I have never been speechless on the show until now. Good, good. <laughs> Uh, so that's our show for tonight. We'll try to, we'll be back on later on this week for a week three preview. We may be able to pull off doing a Texans charger specific preview. Hopefully we can do that and then look for the show to come out not on Tuesday night, Wednesday morning next week, but hopefully like Sunday at seven o'clock or some along those lines. So we can be hot and riled up and, and sweaty after the Texans game against the Los Angeles chargers. So anyways, my name is Matt Weston. Thank you for listening to Red Radio. And thank you for being on tonight, BFD. Woo!